Do you have an unexpected story to tell or know someone who does? We'd love to have you on the pod. Please apply at please don't tell anyone pod at gmail.com or follow our application link in bio of our Instagram, please don't tell anyone pod or TikTok account. And I just start crying and she comes up to me without them telling her who I am. She says to me, last time I saw you, you were in diapers. And I was just like, Hey, and thanks for coming back to Please Don't Tell Anyone. I'm Molly Clark, your host, and this is the podcast where you hear unexpected stories by ordinary people. I go and blind to all my interviews so that I can hear the story firsthand, just like you. Please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, please don't tell anyone. Please don't tell anyone. Don't tell I said, please don't tell anyone. I said, please don't tell anyone. Don't tell again, please. In 2021, I found out that my mother kidnapped my siblings and I from my father by accidentally walking into a woman while on vacation that looked just like me. It was my father's sister. I haven't seen or spoken to my mother in 10 years due to something else, but she doesn't know that I know. Why don't you just take us to the beginning of your childhood and kind of how you saw it up until this happened, right? Like the narrative that you knew and then where the switch happened and I'll just ask questions. Right. So... I was born in New York. I'm one of six kids. My mother had four kids with my father, got remarried and had two more. Uh, We were all living in New York and I was about four when my parents got divorced. And then immediately another man moved in, which we all thought was really bizarre. We hadn't met him or known him really. Where were you in the sibling lineup? I was number three. Okay. So two older sisters and a younger brother. Um, and then it was my mom and my dad. My dad left, and who, the man who became our stepfather moved in. Mm-hmm. And this was all in New York. And then one day she said we were moving. So I was in kindergarten, just finished kindergarten. That summer we moved. We moved to South Carolina. The story she told us was that our father wanted nothing to do with us. He didn't want to see us again. Um, and my father was a very loving, caring man, far far more than my mother so it just didn't make sense um and then the fact that our grandfather who we were also close with didn't want to see us as well just seemed odd but again we were kids so yeah we just picked up and moved with this guy that she just met and his family was from down south in south carolina so we moved down there um and then it was just all downhill uh my stepfather was very abusive physically verbally emotionally to all of us yeah to all of us not my mother never my mother just us I remember being in first grade asking my sister what a what a bastard was because that's what he would call us and we I mean he would mention that we didn't have a dad and it was just very drilled in our head that like your father left you your father left you your father left you and I remember being I think I was I was in first grade and I saw Snoop Dogg on Soul Train and I got so excited because my dad looks like (laughs) And I was screaming like, oh, my God, daddy's on TV. And she got enraged. Your like, mom? Yeah, just at the thought that I was that happy to see him. And it was like they were trying to make us forget him and see him in this negative way. I'll never forget that. And how excited I was to see. I mean, I thought it was cool that he was on Soul Train. And just the the anger that she had towards him. And we never after that, we never really spoke about him again. So just yeah. backing up for a second in terms of this other guy. Yeah. Now knowing what you know, who was he and why did he come in so quickly? 
So I found out she was having an affair and she worked uh, at a hospital, the local hospital in New York. And it was a patient that she met. And that was him. So she met him while she was married to my father. Um, my father comes from a pretty successful family. My father was a designer for Henry Bindel um, and had his own line that he was coming out with that was actually in Bloomingdale's at the time. So wow. he, yeah, he had designed for Stevie Wonder. He had designed for Luther Vandross. He was getting Same. there, but yeah. it wasn't enough for her. Um, his brother was in the NBA. His dad was a freedom writer in the 60s and worked with Dr. King and they got married at James Baldwin's house. My parents got married at James Baldwin's house. So I don't know if she was with him because of their success and she thought she was going to get it. I, I, I don't know. Um, and then, I mean, to like run off with this loser who had nothing to really make sense. But now looking at it, I realize it worked in her favor because she concocted this story that she was abuse that my my father was some psycho abusive person and so she told us that he was a horrible person wanting nothing wanted nothing to do with us but all the adults meaning my, my family her her mother and neighbors and stuff she told them that she was abused and she was running so okay. that kept anybody from asking anything and then that kept us from asking any further questions as well so she had it she had everybody you know kind of in their place to believe whatever story she put out there did, did he try to play a, a paternal role or was no. he just a bad guy? No, he was he was there because he knew my mother could get whatever she wanted from my my grandmother and my grandmother and her sister. So it was like the, these three women that raised my mother and they spoiled her. I, 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 tell, I, I would tell them they created a monster because they never told her no. She's an only child. She got whatever she wanted. Even as an adult, I mean, the houses that we moved to, they bought them. The cars that she got, they bought them. And for me, if somebody was spoiling me like that, I mean, I would be so productive and, like, strategic and not a malicious way. You're going to give me whatever I want? Like, okay, I'm going to build a business. I'm going to, like, invest in these properties and and rent them out and have additional income. No, she just – I don't even know what she did with the houses because we wouldn't stay in them very long. So I don't – yeah. It it was just weird. The whole thing was weird. Okay, so you're five or so, you're in the South, it's you, your siblings, and this new guy. Yep. Yeah. He's both verbally and physically abusive. Does your mom yeah. try to stop the abuse at all or she was just okay with it? Sometimes she would just look the other like literally would look the other way. Or she would tell I remember once her saying, like, you sh- you should know better than to piss him off. She just kind of didn't seem to care. There were times where she would say, like, oh, don't do that or don't say that. Like, say to him, like, don't don't call them that. But it wasn't, like, don't you dare talk to my children that way. It was just, like, oh, come on, like, give them a break. And, I mean, I was five, so the oldest was eight and the youngest was one. So between the ages of eight and one, we're being called bastards and being locked in our room. And, and growing up, because we, we didn't really go to anybody else's house, and we never had anybody come over. So to us, that was the norm. And it wasn't until I moved out that I realized, like, oh, my God, this, there's something. Like, Did you go to school? Yeah, we went to school. Okay. You um, school? No, we went to school, which is why I, which is why I didn't, which is why I thought we moved so much. Because I thought maybe someone in school knew what was happening. And that's why she would switch us to a different school or we would suddenly move. Um, there were times where the police would show up to the house and then 
shortly after we would move. So as a kid, I thought, oh, we're moving because she's embarrassed. She doesn't want the neighbors to know what's really going on in our house. Or she doesn't want the police to catch on to this, you know, constant state of abuse. And if you go switch where there's a different precinct, the, I mean, the two precincts aren't talking to each other. So that was yeah. my justification as to why we would why move Why were so the much. police showing up? Was it because Sometimes of the- we would call. Okay. Yeah, because of the BS. Yeah, sometimes we would call. Once my stepfather had uh, chased after my sister about something and like broke the bathroom door down. It was also on steroids, so that was like made it amplified and made it much worse. Um, and to calm him, my mother would make these like pina colada drinks. Like the alcohol would make, and I was like, alcohol and steroids don't seem like good mix. But it, he would like go in his room and drink, and the rule was like, do not do not touch that door. So, and it was like they you would cage the beast. He already went on his rampage. Let him have his drink, and it was it was just nuts. It's just even saying it out loud is like. Did she love crazy. him? Like, what? Why did she like this guy? I think because he went along with her like conniving ways. I mean, she suckered my nana out of a lot of money, and her mother. My nana was very. I hate to say it because I love her dearly, uh, but she was very weak and she was very much a pushover and she didn't like confrontation. She wasn't going to argue with her. And I've never seen anybody go up against my mother, to be fair. She was a very attractive woman. She used to be a model in the in the 80s. She married this successful man who was an up and coming designer who came from a very successful family. So people didn't challenge her because okay. she was very well spoken and very attractive. And like, why would somebody like if you saw her and you met her, you wouldn't think that she was this person and yeah. and she, she used that to her favor um but why why him i mean one person said to me who else I, if you're a single woman with four kids and this guy is interested you're not going to say no because who else uh-huh. is going to take up a, a woman with with four kids who doesn't have i mean she wasn't aside from working in the hospital i don't know what else she did when we moved she wasn't really working she didn't ever have like a steady career she hopped from job to job but she needed something she called my nana my nana sent it and that was it so why even bother working or doing anything long-term or sustainable when you can just call someone and give some sob story yeah okay so you're five you're living in the south now with all of that yeah and where do you move next or, or what happens next so we lived in that, the first house we moved to when we moved down south. We were only there for a year. Then we moved to the next city over maybe like a half an hour. Why we moved? No idea. Um, we lived there. That was my third elementary school. So that was, I was in the second grade and that was my third school. And so I finished elementary school there. I'd say between the age, from second grade to seventh grade, we moved houses three times but stayed at the same school why we moved houses i don't know once we moved a block now knowing what i know and what my father's family told me i get it uh-huh. and even kids on the school bus would be like why did you move a block away and we're like well, we don't know i mean we <laughs> yeah there's uh, so much as kid you just kind of like accept as a normalcy and then oh, yeah back in your yeah. life that happened Right. But then I also wonder with the teachers and guidance counselors and everybody, weren't they looking at our school records like something's weird, something off is going on. I mean, it was the red flags that were there from our childhood were just like slapping you in the face if you were anyone working in education. And it's funny because when I found out and went back, I like 
retraced all my steps, every school, doctor's office, everything. And I actually got a hold of one of the guidance counselors from one of the seven schools that I went to. And she was like, yeah, like the way we did things in the 90s is pretty. Yeah, that's the only justification I was thinking was just the time, the the, the time was different and even the systems like everything was on paper so unless somebody was flipping through the paper exactly you weren't thinking of it i remember the first house we lived in when we moved down south we ended up going to therapy i don't know i to this day i don't know why um i don't know if something happened at school where they made us go or my mother wouldn't have done it on her own so i feel like something happened i just don't remember but i remember my mother sitting in on the sessions and I had mentioned that to one of the elementary schools that I contacted two years ago when I found out. And she was like, good God, I can't believe we did that. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah. She would sit on the couch on the side while we talked to the therapist and she would look at us and it's like, and we knew not to say certain things. It was, I mean, she, once when the police came to our house, she said, you know, if you tell them the truth, they're going to take your brother away. My brother was the closest to me. And so I would just, I would lie when the police yeah, came. And they I would have lied too. Yeah, they would say, like, has he done this before? And you would just say, oh, no. No, he's never broke down the door or hit anybody. Even, like, it happens every week. But, yeah. Between five and graduating high school, did you have any communication with your father? No. I feel like there was a time where he called and she, like, lost it and was like, you can't talk. I mean, anything, even if you say his name, she would lose it. Just the reaction was so intense. And I feel like there was a time where he tracked down our phone number and he attempted to call. And it was like, that was it. But no, I, I to this day, I have not seen him since I was five. Whoa. I wasn't expecting. And I'm 36. Is he alive still? He is. So basically... His family went to New York to help him find us. Again, this was like 1990. I was I was born in 86. This was 1991. And this is a black man going into the police department in New York City. My wife took my kids. Oh, they'll she'll bring him back. It's fine. Like it wasn't there was no social media. You couldn't go snooping. I mean, um, my grandfather, once I met him again recently. Well, wait, so let's jump because I want to hear you finding this out for the first time. Yeah. So let's. Went to school. I moved out at 15, by the way. Okay. I moved out of my mother's house when I was 15. Started working at 16. was an ice cream scooper at Haagen-Dazs. Nice. <laughs> Graduated and went to FIT, Fashion Institute of Technology, for graphic design. Went to NYU wow. for web design. At 20, I started working for Jay-Z. At uh, 23, I got a freelance gig as a photographer for Versace. Wow. 24, what did ran you do off. for Jay-Z? I'm just curious. Um, so I worked for, with, worked for and with him in three different realms. The first, I was an intern for his publicist and then got a job at a production company. I was a production assistant. And he was my first client. So um, for that project, we got to follow him around and like photograph him. He was performing, I think he was performing at Madison Square Garden for the 9-11 anniversary concert, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we were backstage for that. And then... I got a job working as an event planner like a year later, which was like the worst job ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but looked great on my resume and I'm thankful for the opportunity. I just, I just would not recommend that industry for anybody. Um, Versace was the complete opposite. Versace was the nicest people. I worked there on a few freelance photography projects. And then at 24, I ran off to Paris 
came back at 25 and started my own photography business. I um, was doing portraits for two years, bought a one-way ticket to Australia, moved to Australia, started doing underwater photography. I lived there for a year, came back to America, 2020 election happened, bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand, <laughs> stayed in New Zealand for a bit, came back to America and got stuck during the lockdown. Well, got stuck right before the lockdown, which was a blessing in disguise because my Nana passed away during that time. Um, I actually got hit by a car in New oh York. Oh, my God. In 20, yeah, I got ran over in a hit and run. In no 20, way. Like, ran yeah. over? Mm-hmm. I was, the fact that I remember, like, the exact spot. I was going west on 9th Street and 5th Avenue right before the Arch in Washington Square Park. Mm-hmm. And this guy was turning. You know, all the people are crossing. I, trust me, I know that corner. And he just rammed it back wheel was going towards my head so i moved and he ran over my hand and i had a crushed nerve in the leg spent eight months of physical therapy had reconstructive surgery and that was probably the first moment where i realized like oh my god i don't have any family because they said to me like okay who do we call and i'm like no one so i just went to surgery by myself so did you cut off communication with your siblings as well when you left i had to that was my mother's like oh it was like if you're leaving here you can't basically yeah yeah and even though i would attempt to basically what she did to my father she did to me so if you're not going to give me what i want i'm going to smear your name to everybody because i can't have anybody siding with you or you making me look bad in your submission when it says that you didn't talk to your mom for a different reason Mm -hmm. that is the reason that she was cutting you off so the accident was in 2019 i cut my mother off in 2013 so i was still talking to my mother at that point I wouldn't go to visit her ever. I would attempt to visit my siblings, but she would tell them, like, Aria doesn't care about you. Aria's just as aggressive as her father and violent as her father. That's why she doesn't want it. That's why she never comes around. She's just jealous. She would tell my two youngest siblings, who are my half siblings, uh-huh. Aria's just jealous of you because you have a father and she doesn't. And I'm thinking, like, her father is probably the most vile human being. <laughs> why would I be jealous? And I never spoke poorly about him because of my siblings but i just couldn't take it anymore i couldn't like the abuse had gotten so bad i and out of the six of us two of us had moved out before we graduated high school um were you in communication with those two who had left yes and no because they would keep going back to her and for me since a young age i wanted nothing to do with i didn't like my mother i think i was in first grade when i told her to put me up for adoption Wow. I just was, yeah, I was a very socially conscious child, partly because I've just read encyclopedias for fun and partly because I watch way too many Lifetime movies. So I understood like what was going on. But I also, I mean, I watched those movies because of my mother and I kind of feel like she got some of her storylines from those movies. <laughs> I kind of feel like she would use it as like ways to, I mean, she would, she would come up with these random things about how traumatized she is from this abuse. And I'm like, Girl, it's been 10 years and you've been given everything. You're still traumatized and you still need more money. Like, get a job. And and you were able to, like, have that click for you that young. Oh, yeah. But I was the only one. So growing up, she would send me away as much as possible because of it. Because she didn't want to. Where would she send you? To my Nana's house in New York. Okay. So, like. So you were close to your dad in terms of. um, But didn't know it. But didn't know it. Yeah. Wow. Did. Just one more question about the yeah. childhood did your mom and the i'm just gonna call him the bad man have <laughs> children together 
Yes, so those were the youngest two. Those are the youngest two. Okay, I wasn't sure yeah. if those were from a different yeah. marriage for him. Yeah, so the first four were from her first marriage, and then when she got uh-huh. remarried, she had two more. Got it. More. Okay. And, and I... Which, which brother was it that you were close with? From from my dad. My dad's youngest. Okay. So, yeah. And so he again, was one He was one years old when we left, so he never knew my father. Okay. So he didn't have that kind of yearning. Mm-mm. No. And he just Um, believed what my mother said. So did that, and again, you don't have to answer this if you don't, but did that draw the wedge between you and your brother that were so close? Was you leaving? I think naturally, yeah. And Mm -hmm. I still would keep in contact with him. He was, um, he would reach out occasionally. But even if I reached out, then my mother would tell everybody like, oh my God, Aria called. All right, like even neighbors back in New York would be like, oh, your mom said you you were calling and they didn't, she didn't know why. I'm like, cause they're my siblings. Why would I, like we were very, very close. And we, I remember when we were little, we planned to put our stepfather in a, in a senior home and feed him dog food. Like that was our master plan to get revenge as kids. And, and everybody just kind of adapted to the abuse as they got older. And I, again, I, I don't want to speak on anybody's individual experience, yeah. but as a, speaking of speaking in all six of us as a whole there were people who attempted suicide there were people who were getting arrested there were people who were drinking there were people who were slitting their wrists there were people who were failing school um people who were antisocial. so everyone was taking the trauma pretty hard yeah and i remember one had like a full complete complete that's actually what triggered me to move because i was so mortified had a complete meltdown on the floor in the hallway in high school. And I was like, I can't, I like, and then people in school started coming up and like, well, what's going on? Like why? One person figured it out. One guy I went to high school with, who's now in the FBI was like, I know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, he knew. Oh, he knew. He came to me in biology class in the 10th grade. I'll never forget it. And he was like, there's somebody in your house hurting you guys, isn't there? And he was the only person I ever told. Yeah, he knew it. He knew. Wow, I'm so glad he's in the FBI now. I know, right? I know. Yeah. yeah he what knew. A instinct that kid had. Oh, your Nana that you were so close with, that's your mater- your maternal grandmother, right? So my Nana, it's confusing. We call her Nanny. Nanny is actually my grandmother's sister. So it's okay. Nanny Maggie. Nanny Maggie and Grandma were the three. Okay. All of, but all on of your mom's sense. side? Yes, on my mom's side. Okay. Yeah. Based on hearing about your father and his life, why wouldn't they love him? Why didn't? Why were they so accepting of what your mom was saying? I think they were afraid of her, to be honest. And a lot of neighbors who knew them as adults, when we were kids, but knew the situation, felt that they just didn't want to challenge her. I don't know the depths of my mother's youth, but I hear she was quite the villain then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... I, I don't know. And and the same thing, too. Like, I mean, one of my friends was sent, called me the other day and said, like, oh, I'm reading the Kennedy's autobiography. Your grandpa's in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know. And she was like, how the hell? Your family, like. <laughs> she realized, I will say she did realize towards the end of her life. Like, my Nana passed away in 2020, um, right, be- right, right before the lockdown. And she, and then at that point, she was vocal. Like, like I screwed, like, it's a little too, little, too little too late, but realizing what. had gone wrong yeah Um, because it happened to her so that's why I stopped talking to my 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 mother finally turned on my nana and that's when I cut off ties with everybody and that was in 2013 so jumping to 2019 you have this unbelievable career you've built this life for yourself outside of this chaos you're in New York you get hit by a car near Washington Square Park 
and you recover from that and then what happens so that was what happens your nana dies yeah so my nana passed away she actually fell the day before she died nobody told me which is fine because i don't talk to my family i didn't but a neighbor had called who was also upset that my mother didn't tell her um nor did my mother go to see her so my nana called and said i'm in the hospital um you don't have to come and i was like I'm coming. So I got on a train, left Harlem, went up there. We talked for about three hours and she went to sleep and she passed away. And I was the only one there. And it, part of it infuriated me, but part of me was thankful because I felt like that was the way it was supposed to end. And we talked about everything. And I'm so grateful for those three hours because everything, I mean, we, I've talked to her before about things that happened in our family and I have thanked her for everything that she's done for me. But I was, I was, I was sad for her that she, that nobody came mm-hmm. and it was just the two of us. Everybody knowing that she's going to die. I mean, she had fallen and broken her hip and the doctor said, if we put her to sleep for surgery, she's not going to, she's not going to, she's 95. She's not going to wake up. Yeah. Um, but she just, she said she was tired and she was going to sleep and she died in her sleep. I mean, after 95 years, that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, that's kind of the best way to go. But this is 2020. This big event happens for you in 2021. So your Nana didn't even get to hear about this run-in. So take us to that. But I also feel like she knew. Yeah, I I get that vibe too. I I feel like she knew and it was like if I – I mean, what was she going to do? She told us. Can you imagine the wrath of like my mother? And my mother – the reason why I stopped talking to my mother, long story short, is – uh, my Nana was living with her sister in this house. My Nana bought this house for $20,000. It obviously grew in value to $1.2 million in Westchester, outside of New York City. Amazing. Um, when her sister died, it was just my Nana. And I was staying with my Nana. And my mother was determined to get me out of that house. And in fear that I would inherit it or something of the sort. Which I had no... Mm-hmm. My mother also doesn't know how well I've done for myself. She has really? no idea of my accomplishments. Does she Google no. you? I mean, I haven't Googled you, but I assume based no, on everything she, you're saying about she, your career, So I did I have a LinkedIn Google. and I deleted it. I deleted because my of LinkedIn your mom. because I could see her checking every week and I couldn't take it. And I just delete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, she's talking to me. <laughs> you, could, you know uh-huh. how it tells you like your last yeah. visitor? Yeah. She was on there checking. It was just creep. Oh, wow. It just creeps me out. I mean, I have no social media. I can't handle it. As you just I said, know. it sounds like you're like a well-known photographer in your field. So how does that work? Old school. Does, your, does it, your name get published? Sometimes, okay. yeah, yeah. Sometimes was, especially now because I'm doing wildlife photography. That's why I'm here mm-hmm. um, in Thailand. So I'm sure she she could search me if she wanted to. But just the direct contact, really. I just I don't like knowing that she's looking. Or, like, going through photos and, like, I don't know why it bothers me so much. Even my therapist was like, Aria, you got to, like, you got to move past this. And then my therapist was like, well, I don't care now. Now now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, have at it. Yeah. Now now I'm like, I'm, and I've worked with several psychologists and therapists, but like living in, not in fear, but just like this constant state of structuring my life because I'm afraid she'll find me or what she'll do or whatever. And, I don't want to be bothered. That's my thing. Like I've cut ties with you because you're a toxic person and I'm in Uh such a good place. And I have intentionally and strategically created this good life for myself. And I've seen you destroy everybody else's. Do not come near me. That's that's, yeah. Like that's how I feel. Um, But 
going back to my Nana, when her sister died, my mother got me out of the house, told my Nana that I was using her to stay there rent free. And I was taking advantage of her. Mind you, again, my mother had no idea of all like my opportunities and careers I was working on. So my Nana said I needed to leave. And I said, Nanny, listen, when I leave, she's going to put you in a home and she's going to take this house. Oh, she would never do that to me. She would never, Nanny. <laughs> my mother used to call and tell my Nana how much her house was worth constantly. Oh, I just randomly checked and I saw it. I'm like, Nanny, she's got, oh, she would never. And my Nana would get pissed that I would say things like that. She wanted peace. She didn't care who was right or who was wrong. It was like, don't talk about it. We're all great people, which is complete bullshit. <laughs> We're not all great people. And I think we'd go a lot further if we acknowledged that. I left, moved to Australia. My neighbor called me and said, Aria, guess where your Nana is? So she's in a home, isn't she? Said, yeah. Put her in a home. And your mom pocketed the money from Took the house. The, pocketed the money. She stayed there for a little bit to fix it up, stripped the floor, did a bunch of stuff, lowballed herself. I think... <laughs> I think one of the neighbors said she got like less than 500,000. It's a $1 million house, but she got it cash and she bolted. So, and she never went and she never came back after she got that money. Wow. That was it. That was it. Is she still with the guy? He died from COVID. No way. Last year. It was the last year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Dropped dead at 59 from COVID. Oh my. And they God. had the audacity to put my name in the obituary. <laughs> Oh, my God. Like, I, I haven't seen or spoken to you in 10 years. I haven't seen or spoken to him in about 20. And you put my name in there as one of his loving daughters? What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh I had God. to resist every urge to type on the obituary online. Like, this is who he really... I, I, I was like, all right. <laughs> and I found out when, when my Nana's sister died, before they put her in the home, we were going through her things. I found a piece of paper mm. from my mother between my mother and her my stepfather's sister who had been emailing back and forth he had another child that my mother was keeping hidden and she wasn't in the obituary yeah and i wow. and her photo was there with the mother she looked she looked there was no there was no debating that that was his kid and she was our age so my thing well, where has she been this whole time and none of and my <laughs> siblings who are my half siblings they don't know she exists they i wow. mean what, so, again, to create this security for her and her funds and her money, and if that meant alienating my father and alienate, this man alienating his own kid, I mean, you ran off with a woman with four kids, but you don't take care or acknowledge Yeah, your that's what's bizarre. Which is lucky for her because she avoided an abusive situation, but yeah. I just... Have you reached out to looking her? At this, I have no idea who she is. Okay. The, the photo, it was just a photo. It didn't have her name. Or anything. But, I mean, she looks just like my sister. That's the crazy part. You should contact your high school FBI buddy. He'll find out. I know. (laughs) There's, like, a half phone number in the background from them selling the house. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so 2021, take us to this pivotal moment. So, lockdown happened 2020. Started traveling more in 2021. I I left my apartment in Harlem and moved to D.C. And then I was going to California that summer. I usually spend my summer in Laguna Beach, um, but the house that I was renting wasn't ready yet, so I figured I would just stop in New Orleans. I'd never been to New Orleans in my entire life. No one in my family has ever been to New Orleans, ironically enough. Huh. <laughs> and I thought, well, I, why not? It's cheap. It's the yeah. only. It's one of the few places. I mean, everything in the South was open during the lockdown, so I yeah. figured I can 
maneuver around. I got there on a Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. I went to a gym class. And after the gym class, I asked the instructor like where I can go to get a smoothie. He told me this specific place to go, which was like three blocks away. I walked this specific path <laughs> to go to this one smoothie shop. And I passed this woman who's right on the corner of the smoothie shop. And I look up and immediately I'm like, gosh, she looks just like me. Now I'm 5'11", 200 pounds. I'm not a small person by any means. Mm -hmm. I'm insanely, I'm taller than everybody on the sidewalk. So to see somebody at my eye level and it being a woman was like weird, but just her face looks so familiar. Um, and so we both looked at each other and I was like, oh my God, just walk. So I keep walking. <laughs> like, and people in the South are nice. I'm, I'm from New York. So I, yeah. I'm not saying good morning to people. And Louisiana is very different. So some of them wave and I was like, <gasps> walked away. <laughs> Went to go in the smoothie shop that was supposed to open at seven. It was closed. I was like, well, that sucks. So everything was leading me back to this woman. So I passed her again because my Airbnb is one block over from where she was standing. And I passed her and we both looked at each other again. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know. There's something weird. So I walked to my Airbnb and something in me was like, Aria, turn around. So I turn around and I'm just pacing. I probably look like an absolute psycho. It's seven in the morning and I'm like, my tall self is pacing back and forth talking to my having a full conversation with myself and oh my staring God. at her and at this point the other she was with two other gentlemen and they're all looking at me so I like back into this stairwell I think it was like a, 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 a door frame of the courthouse and I call one of my friends in DC and I was like listen this is nuts you're gonna think I'm crazy there's this woman she looks just like me I don't know why I know her but I know her and he was like you've never met her before and I said no never seen this woman in my life but I know I know that I know her I just don't know why I know her and he was like go just go ask her I'm like oh, I'm not gonna talk to this stranger on the side and I'm like babbling insanely loud on my cell phone so they're all watching me as I'm like hiding in this door frame trying oh to God. make myself it was yeah it was ridiculous um and she's leaving she's getting in she's walking to her truck and she's leaving and I was like oh whatever she's leaving my friend was like Aria if you don't ask her, you're going to regret it. Isn't your family from there? I was like, yeah, but that was like 30 years ago. None of them live here anymore. Everybody lives there. <laughs> like, none of them have ever left. So he's like, she's getting in her truck. Go, go. So I run across the street and I could not talk to her. I couldn't go to her truck. So I talked to the two guys and I was like, hey, I'm so sorry to bother you. I know it's really early and I'm just some random stranger. I was just wondering, is her last name happen to be Smith? And they were like, yeah, why? And so then I was like, oh, is she related to? And I said, my father's name. And they both just look at me and they scream her name to come back. And so she comes back. And as she's coming back, I'm like, oh my God, we're related. We're like, I like, and so in, within a 10 second time frame of her walking towards me, I turned to the guy and I was like, I'm pretty sure my mom took us when we were little. And I think that's something that's related to my dad. And he's just looking at me like, what the hell? And I just start crying and she comes up to me without them telling her who I am. She says to me, last time I saw you, you were in diapers. And I was just like, what? So I, everyone tells me I look just like my mother. So she knew mm -hmm. when she saw me, like okay, that I'm pretty sure that's one of, one of my nieces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was my dad's sister who looks just like my brother. 
same same build same oh man and in that on the sidewalk in that moment like everything just came out because i'm hug? just like was she happy to see yeah you? oh yeah i was crying and then she gave me a hug and said i love you and i was like this. and then to me also it was like weird because i don't know i have n i never met this woman so i'm like yeah. <laughs> sobbing to complete strangers um and then literally on the sidewalk with these two other people who know my whole family and my dad's sister put the whole thing together just like all of us on the sidewalk like yeah my mom said this and they're like no that's not what happened and like my so mom what was said the story? that so the story I told them like my mom basically said that you guys wanted nothing to do with us I didn't even know you I had an aunt my mom said we didn't have any aunts mm -hmm. or uncles mm -hmm. um and she said like my grandpa and my dad wanted nothing to do with us and she was like no like your dad didn't have a visitation on whatever day she packed the bags and she ran and so my dad's family went up to try to find us and had no luck my mom actually reached out to them and like basically blackmailed them. Like, I'll, I'll let you see them if you send me money. Huh. So they would send, they would agree to send the money because then that would give them an address. Huh. But then once they would get the address, she moved us. So that's why we were moving. She would get, she would wait until she got whatever amount of money she asked for. Huh. And then they would try to get to us. And we were, so we went, we might've been gone a block away. Uh -huh. So they, so that's why we were moving sometimes a different city, sometimes a different state, sometimes one block. block. What did she say about your dad? So my dad just mentally lost it and want, wanted nothing to do with anyone. In his mind, it was his four kids were dead. Um, and she was saying like, your father loved his kids more than anything. So for her to have this story of how crazy he was and he wanted nothing to do with anyone was just complete bullshit. And he was a very sensitive man and it broke him. I mean, he woke up, his four kids are gone. If that had happened today, I think the outcome would obviously be very different of than course. 30 plus years ago. But, you know, people believe the, the women and nobody ever challenged her from any aspect of her life. Um, so wait, why did she call her brother right then and there and be like, oh my God, I'm standing with your daughter? They were afraid that it would break him. Again. So he was homeless in New York. While I was at FIT at NYU, I like would pass him on the street. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't want anything to do with anybody. Cut everybody off. Decided he was just going to live on the street, which is so crazy to me because I remember like this photo of him, of one of my brothers wearing one of the hats that he made for, I think for Stevie Wonder. And I would like, I worked with my internships. I would work fashion week all the time. And we do these events in Bloomingdale's. And my, one of my family's friends was like, your dad was in Bloomingdale's. <laughs> like, it's just, so it's he just went from Bloomingdale's to homeless <clears throat> because yeah. of the mental break. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it and it made and it changed my perspective on homelessness in general because it's like, what are these people's stories? I mean, you would have no idea that like this guy came from such success. Did he get into drugs when he became homeless? To your knowledge? No. Mm -mm. Wow. No. Just the mental it was like a mental it was a mental thing. And he ended up getting in a fight, they said which landed him in Rikers. And his brother, who was in the NBA, was like, all right, enough. Went up there and got him, checked him into a treatment center. He was in the treatment center for a while, brought, let, had him leave New York and moved him down south into a house in, in Atlanta, which is where he is now. Why haven't you got... So the fear is like, who's going to tell him? Because 
It's been 30 years. Last time, I mean, I was saying to a friend, my friend was like, just do it yourself, Aria. So I've asked family members like, okay, what's his number? And oh, I got to figure it out. And like, so now I know where he is exactly. But now I'm like, holy shit. Last time I saw this man. I get it. He was 32. I'm 36. <laughs> Last time I saw him, I was five and probably like three and a half feet tall. And so there's, I also subconsciously think that like, because everyone says you look just like your mother, I feel like he, I just, I can't imagine, and maybe it's just all in my head, but I just feel like he'll be so disgusted to see the, like to see the, I mean, I, that's what, I, what I've told myself, but I've also told myself, if God forbid he dies, I will hate myself forever for not, for not seeing him. And, and I'm also fearful of what, of like how much, I can take on like am I'm so far removed from the family aspect of life yeah. that to now have to give that side of myself to someone I don't know how because I haven't because I had to do the exact opposite I've had to seclude family in order to protect myself in order to get to where I am and then to now have to like have this vulnerable side to a family member it's like, well, how do you do that? Because I've never, I've never experienced a loving, caring family on any level at all whatsoever in life. So it's like this father-daughter relationship, I don't even know what that is. My father-daughter relationship was with an abusive person who I have removed from my life years ago. And since then, it's been just survival mode. So now to just snap out of that and be this like caring, loving daughter, I don't even know what that would look like. What yeah, and even with my um my dad's family, like that was really that was really, really difficult. That's probably like one of the most traumatic moments. And I know people think like, oh, it was such a joyous moment to find your family, but it was very traumatic for me. I mean, I after discussing everything with them on the sidewalk, like went back to my Airbnb and just broke down and and immediately called a therapist and had a session the whole time I was there. And I was there for three, I mean, I couldn't handle it. I could, I, people were so excited. And for me, it was overwhelming because for them, it's like, you found that five-year-old girl. Here she is. And it was like the celebration. And I'm just like, oh my God, who are these people? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember. Either I don't remember you or I never met you. And people were like taking me out to lunch and bringing me to this person's house. Oh, and this person wants to meet you. And then I'm sitting oh, at so somebody else. you started else's. to like really mingle with them. Oh, I had no choice. Oh, no, they were outside my Airbnb. And it was like, oh, none come of them on. called your dad. That's so interesting to me that they yeah. were like, we want to pull you into the family, but no one's going to make the call to the person who was most impacted by this. Absolutely. Everyone yeah. had this fear around that. And it's like, to your point of fear and this five-year-old, if there's one thing I've learned in this 46 minutes, it's like when you were five, your dad was this light to you. And he was this right. amazing figure. And even in these stories that you tell about him, he's amazing. Yeah. I would also fear like, what if you meet him and that bubble bursts and you're you're right if he doesn't like you or whatever the fantasy of yeah. him disappears i don't think that would happen but i understand your fear right and from what i've been told that bubble has already that bubble is that light is gone that like mentally he's just gone my dad has several sisters and one of them was saying to me like we are trying to protect you in a way because of the shock value of seeing him in his state that he's in now is he's not, you're not going to have a conversation with the man you had a conversation with 30 years ago, because mentally he's, he spent 20 years on the streets in New York. So although he went into a treatment center and he's now 
functioning. He's not the successful designer, creative, spirited soul that he once was. Your mother killed that. So now you have a completely different person. But you don't believe that and, that's in there? Or they don't believe that that's I in there? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And I think it, it's, it's reflective of my mother's side is like, we yeah. don't want to talk about it. And I don't want to be the one to do it. And I know what happened. And I know what's going to happen. But I don't want to, like, I'm just not. So now it's on me. Like, if it's going to happen, I have to do it. Because yeah. nobody else, I think but, other people want to be present for it, but nobody wants to, to like, initiate do it. it. And I've, yeah, and I've talked to my grandfather about it, and he's just. Your dad's I mean, father. also, yeah. So when I was on the sidewalk, when we all found, when I found my dad's sister, she said, well, what are you doing in New Orleans? I said, well, I don't know. I just had three weeks to kill. Mm-hmm. I bought tickets to go see this artist tomorrow. And they're like, oh, what artist? We know everybody here. And I was like, oh. This guy, he does all these murals, and I showed them my ticket to his studio, and they all look, they look at me, and they're like, "Are you kidding?" And I was like, "What?" And they're like, "He's re- this artist is revealing a portrait of your grandfather tomorrow. Like you would have met us." Oh, my God! I still have the ticket. I never used the ticket because I never went to the. I never even went to you the didn't gallery. Go? Why? No, because uh, well, no, I didn't go to. So I had a ticket to go to the gallery, but the yeah. artist wasn't going to be there because the artist was revealing my grandfather's portrait on this my my grandfather's face is on the city buses of new orleans <laughs> it's like crazy what was your like i, I didn't really i didn't grow up with any religion you know so i yeah. kind of had to build spirituality from trauma same keeping myself calm right so but in hearing this it's like those moments where you're like oh something's greater than me to absolutely have. yeah so i was wondering where spiritually you landed yeah. from all this my nana was baptist so we went to a baptist church in yonkers um but i wouldn't say i'm religious at all i'd say i'm more of a spiritual person i i fully believe in karma and i fully believe that everything happens for a reason and i i believe in a higher power i don't label it as a person yeah Um, same i'm in the same boat as you but in that moment i was like okay i was gonna bump into you no matter like it's just yeah no matter what and serendipitous yeah, so my dad's sister means well, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. She likes to be over the top. And again, I don't know these people, so I don't know their personality traits, so I'm mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. And her bright idea was to have me be a surprise to my grandfather at this portrait revealing. Did that happen? Yes. No. And it was the most horrific. <laughs> oh, well, no wonder you're like traumatized to go do this to your father now. So wait, what happened there? So ABC News was there filming the Juneteenth special that they had been filming with Barack Obama. And they went to New Orleans to film my grandfather on the day that I'm there. Yeah. So she told. So so on the sidewalk, people had taken pictures because everybody just knows my family. And she put it on Facebook and wrote this whole thing about me and everything which i have yet to see but somebody else told me when i introduced myself to someone they were like oh yeah i saw your photo on facebook and i'm like what so she so everybody knew in town but my grandfather didn't know so i show up to this place where they're doing this grand grand revealing of the city buses with my grandfather on them and this woman from abc news was like listen we don't have time to add this but i'm just curious about like the whole situation with your mom who the hell how do you I don't even know <laughs> who are you how do you know this everybody knew and so they somebody's like hiding me I was hiding in a room they had me hiding in a room so my grandfather wouldn't see me they reveal the bus before they reveal the bus they're like like 
my dad's sister takes the mic and was like, Dad, I know you haven't seen this person in a long... It was so dramatic. <laughs> this is, Was this filmed? Yes, yes. It's, yes. Was, was it on ABC News? No, locally? it didn't go... It wasn't okay. on ABC, oh but they God. like... Yeah, yeah. Like, so, how's your dad not... Okay. Maybe he does know. And maybe he's just as... Afraid. I think he at this point he knows. There's no way he doesn't. Somebody but I think he's just as afraid as something. I am. Absolutely. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point. Because my photo was taken by everybody that he knows and put mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so she tells my grandfather. And my grandfather is kind of like, <laughs> again, <laughs> it's like, what? it just didn't go. That was probably the one of the worst moments ever. Because he wasn't excited. Because oh. he was kind of like, he was in the mind frame. This is Juneteenth. It was, it was Juneteenth. They were filming for Juneteenth. I'm here to give a speech about... <laughs> His he he was a, a a freedom rider in the sixties and boy, did the bus boycotts with John Lewis and all the work that he had done in the civil rights. He was beaten by the Klan and arrested. So he's here to give that speech, and that's why he's on the bus because he was beaten for riding in the front of the bus. And you're turning it into this, and it's like this is wrong place. This like no, this is not a good time. So he's he has the mic and he looks at me and he's kind of like, oh wow, I <laughs> just. Oh, I was mortified. God. I was mortified. Every And on top of that, I'm looking around. Everybody has their phones out. People had like their cameras and were taking pictures. And did I gave him a hug. Him? Yeah. I did because they were like, go, Aria, go, go. So I walked up to him and gave him a hug. And he was, he was kind of like, okay. Like didn't know what to do or say. Yeah, it was, it was very awkward. And then he just goes right into his speech that he had planned. So I'm have, just like off to the have, side, like awkward. We talked him? afterwards. Oh, all the, I talked to him all the time. Yeah. So yeah, now yeah. you've you've had conversations with him. Yeah, I mean, two days after that, we both sat down in a coffee shop and talked for like six hours, and we were both like, "What the fuck was that?" <laughs> what, what was, yeah. Has he waited even, on you reaching out to your dad? Yeah. So he's very. He won't. It's so interesting. He won't speak on my mother. Like he doesn't mm. want to talk about her. He's in his mid eighties and is like. Last time he saw me, he was in his 50s, so he got time with all his other grandchildren, but he didn't get time with us, and we were the children of his firstborn, so I think there was a lot of pain with that, and then just, I the first thing, he, actually, when he had the mic at that event, the first thing he said to me was, you don't know how long I was looking for you, and I just was like, shit. Meanwhile, ABC is, like, filming on their camera. And all these people, are, so we couldn't, it was like you had to contain your natural reaction. Because for me, that was my most exciting moment was to see him because that was someone that I knew when I was little. I didn't know any of these other people. It's so many people came up, I'm your cousin, I'm your dad's best friend. I played basketball with your dad back. And, oh, you don't know me. I'm uncle whoever. And I'm just like, my grandfather was the only person that I felt comfortable with because it was the only person I grew up with. And there were like, maybe a hundred people there at this event. And it was just, it was just, I, it was traumatic. It really was. It was like a hundred degrees outside. Traumatic. And I was posing for pictures with people and everybody wanted to take a photo. And it was not that I'm not appreciative of the reaction, but also like, I don't think anybody saw it from my perspective. I would have preferred like a one-on-one. Of course. Meet and greet in oh, privacy. Oh, you would have preferred to have ABC there on Juneteenth of the bus reveal. <laughs> I mean, that's just And wild. I just thought, like, what, who, who thought this was a good idea? Did anybody think, like, hey, we shouldn't 
Like, let's not do this to her. Like, let's, let's, no. Okay, so he doesn't talk about your mom, but does he weigh no. in on your dad? On you, He just him? talked about, like, the effects that it had on my dad. And everybody yeah. says the same thing. It mentally destroyed him. He cut them off as well. Uh-huh. He didn't want anything to do with anybody at this point. Yeah. And had said at one point when they did discuss it with him, he was too embarrassed to even like okay it's been i don't know maybe five or ten years had gone by and it's like come on let's try again there was you know different technology and and he was too embarrassed because at this point he had lost everything he was homeless the man that he was when we were little is not the man that he was then when they were attempting to get him to reach out so they were saying like there's just on his end there's a high level of shame he's living with his mother have you talked so my paternal i don't don't mean i have no idea who she is okay so your paternal your paternal grandparents grandmother. got divorced. Yes. So okay. one, my grandfather lives in New Orleans. Yeah, and yeah, my yeah. Grand, my grandmother lives, lives in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. And yeah. you haven't reached out to her slash ha- just. No, I don't even, I don't even think I knew. Oh, <laughs> she just, she just passed away. Somebody told me she just, she lit, yeah, <laughs> like a week ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Oh my God. I know. I know. It's so really now your crazy. dad's just... living alone, hypothetically in Atlanta. I didn't th- oh my god you just made me I know ne- I just I yeah I guess so I never thought about that until you just mentioned this yeah wow. yeah I mean this was like in the past because I talked to my dad's youngest sister I talked to her like every week um and she texted me like a week ago saying like this is your this is your grandmother like sending me a photo and like she just passed away so yeah so I guess he's by himself I didn't even think of that yeah my therapist has a really good acronym for fear. And sorry to Thera explain you. I'm sure you've heard this. No, no, go for it. <laughs> there's three fear acronyms. And I think about them a lot. One is false evidence appearing real. That's what fear is. And then you can either fuck everything and run or face everything and recover. And I prefer the latter. Yeah. And I just feel like you prefer the latter. And I, I yeah. mean, what? The wor- you know the worst case scenario. You've already outlined it. It's that you get there. Yeah. He's a complete opposite of the man that you knew at five. And he says, right. fuck you, get out of here. And that's that. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It's true. And I, the last year was like horrible just from like the recession. Because I was working as a travel photographer during the lockdown. Obviously couldn't work. So I had to switch oh. to doing portraits, which I absolutely cannot stand. <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> and then just like rebuilding my business in 2021 only for it to completely collapse in 2022. Uh So I've been talking to my dad's family over the phone, but haven't Uh like physically made any plans to figure out the situation with my dad. How long are you in Thailand for? I'm here probably for another two months. Okay. And then you would come back to the States? Maybe. (laughs) You really not like being in the States? Not at all. Why? I've lived all over the world. In terms of first world countries, I would say America's the worst, hands down. I'll, I'll be back, not permanently. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually working on, I'm, so I'm building a house in Tanzania um, and also as building a hotel in, uh, and building a hotel in Tanzania. Because <laughs> <laughs> why not? I, I'm very big on international real estate investment. It's, it's a good way to, it, uh, it's a great way to make money outside the United States. What kind of hotel will it be? Like a high-end hotel, a medium, low? Villas. So, okay. so they're villas. Yeah. yeah. Is it just and cheaper? There is a lot of money to be made outside the United States. I, I was dating a guy last year, and he was like, 
he said to me, you think you can make money like you could in America? And I was like, are you delusional? Like, you know how much I make way more money, way more money outside the United States than I than I ever will be in the United States. Hands down. Not to mention. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so I learned about this from one of my friends and mothers in Australia. She bought a villa in Thailand. Mm -hmm. She paid maybe $9,000. She rents it out and she makes about 10 grand a month. If you're building, buying or investing in a third world country and renting it out to first world tourists. You're making bank. You're making a ridiculous amount of money. Damn. Plus you're living, especially if you're living. So, I mean, I'm in a 1000 square foot apartment for $600 in Thailand. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I think that, my apartment in New York was like 300 square feet for like $3,000. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. That may be a, please don't tell anyone life hack that you just gave all the listeners. You listen, amazing. people. I, I find that Americans in general are just very sheltered and America is not going to teach you how to thrive outside of America. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But there are many, many ways to, even if you go into tourism, there's a lot of people who, who, I mean, I know somebody who bought a safari truck, put it in Tanzania, hired some people in Tanzania to run the safari. Safari truck is like 50 grand. Uh-huh. You're charging each person who gets in that truck per day $300. I mean, you're making a ridiculous, I mean, there's so many different ways. I, Damn. I could write a book on how to make money outside the U.S. <laughs> You and how you to keep your money outside the U.S. <laughs> but yeah, I was talking to somebody on the plane. He was like, so you're basically retired at 36 and you're just like investing in different things because you left the United States. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. That's pretty sick. Much. Just circling back, though. So you'll probably come back to the States. Where is your head at right now in terms of whether or not you'll reach out when you get back? I think I'll definitely reach out. I think these past probably the past year has given me a lot more clarity on that situation i think i just needed a a minute to process it and i also tell people like i found that out after getting hit by a car after my nana died after i lost my entire business and then i and then that was the fourth thing to happen so it was like i'm already trying to heal from everything else and then this situation happens plus then having to try to rebuild my bed. It was just too much at once. But now I feel like I'm in a solid place mentally, emotionally, financially to just, I mean, even doing this, like I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have spoken to you a year ago. I don't, I don't think so. Definitely not when I found out. And I, after I left New Orleans, I went to California, then I went to Mexico. And when I was in Mexico and Puerto Vallarta, I was having a dinner with a group and somebody sitting next to me was a writer for the Rolling Stones. And I was just casually telling them like oh yes found my dad's family and this guy was like oh my god <laughs> i could write this and i was like absolutely not I, there's i was like sir <laughs> he's like i can get you a book deal i know people like i write for the rolling and i was like absolutely not there's no i can't even no can't. well i'm so humbled and appreciative that you're coming on my tiny podcast to do this then thank you you're the first person i've talked to about it yeah crazy an exclusive yeah. i can take this out if you want but i'm just so curious so like being that you don't promote yourself where can if i want to see your photos or if people listening like you don't have any sort of way to follow your career so I just created an Instagram and I can't stand it, but it's there. Do you want to plug it? Or... <laughs> yeah, sure. It's planes and pixels, planes okay. dot and uh, pixels. And my website is there and all my work, but I'm shying away from photography. I think, I think this will be my last year of shooting, which is really mm-hmm. sad because 
I've done it my whole life. My Nana and her sister bought me my first camera when I was 10. My camera has taken me so many places and, yeah. and I'm, I'm thankful that my Nana and her sister supported that. And my teachers, that that's the real shout out. Honestly, when I think of my childhood and I didn't get any guidance, parental guidance from my mother. Oh. I, I always say I learned what not to do from my mother. But the real heroes were my teachers. I mean, I could cry talking about my teachers, honestly. I can't you even. You spend more time like, at school than you do with your Absolutely. Parents. And when you're in an abusive home, school is your safe haven. For me, it was my safe haven. So, like, for me, I failed so many grades. I failed the sixth grade. Mm -hmm. I failed the 10th grade. And I almost failed the 12th grade. Because I wasn't going to school to learn. I was just, I was going to school to get a meal because my, uh -huh. my mother and my stepfather would put locks on the fridge and the cabinets. Uh -huh. So, and like controlled when we ate. I, I don't understand that, but they did. So I was going to school to eat and I was going to school to just have a safe place. And learning wasn't really, like if it wasn't the arts, I didn't really care. I went to summer school for the sixth grade and made up for it. I moved out of my mother's house after 10th grade. And then I had to go to summer school for 10th grade to get to the 11th grade. Um, but yeah, it, it was my teachers, my teachers and my internships, even in terms of like my own business and businesses that I've created and investments and stuff. That's all from teachers and internships. I interned at some like the top PR firms in New York that were all women owned. Oh, I'm so thankful because those women were, I mean, it was cutthroat. I think at that time, that was when I think that Laguna Beach and the Hills had come on TV and the devil wears Prada came out and I remember watching it and not laughing. And I was like, this is real. Like, this is not, like, this is how the industry is. But it, it, I mean, I thrived in it because I had such thick skin and I had been through so much worse. And I remember seeing girls cry in like these showrooms and that fashion week. And I'm like, man, I, it was nothing to me. And, and I had a friend tell me the other day when we were talking about all the stuff, like working with Jay-Z and everything. And he was like, I can't believe you went through everything that you went through. But like, like to know that you were in a room with Jay-Z or like working backstage with Beyonce and Rihanna and like nobody knew your, like to, to know You're that like, you were this, yeah. like, yeah, to like, and the fact that you were chosen over other people, I was like, yeah, because I perfected everything that I did in terms of my craft, in terms of how I spoke, in terms of how I carried myself in these environments. And the common denominator on every interview that I had was like, we can tell that you just don't, like you just have this attitude of like, you don't care about the people you're working for. You're just here. And for me, it's true. Like, I don't, I mean, Jay-Z's cool or whatever, but I really don't give a shit to be honest yeah. because Jay-Z's going home to his multi-billion dollar condo and I don't have parents to call. So I have to figure this out. Like for me, it wasn't a matter of getting these cool jobs because they sound cool. I, I didn't have social media and I didn't give a shit. For me, it was knowing at a young age, I have to create this solid foundation for myself. And that means having the best resume and creating the best opportunities for myself. And I wasn't going out and partying and doing all this stuff in my 20s because one, I didn't have the resources to do it. And I was so focused on work because I need to build this foundation because I don't have the security net that other people have. Mm -hmm. And two, I had no desire to be working a nine to five for the rest of my life and taking a week, a week's vacation. So I did, I always say I did what I, I did what was needed so that I could do whatever I wanted. And, I, and since I was little, probably like 10, I promised myself I would have like the coolest life as an adult and be able to do whatever I want. 
And in this past year, I mean, just this past four months, 2023, I, I was in South Africa, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Qatar, Finland, and now Thailand. And, and, and I rem remember when I was little, my Nana had this like collection of vintage Nat Geo magazines that I would read. And I was like, yeah, one day I'm going to photograph the world. Like I'm going to travel the world and photograph it. And she's like, oh, sure. And when she, when we were talking before she passed away, she's like, remember when you said, <laughs> remember when you said you were going to do that? And the nurse came in and she was like, Aria, tell her, tell her what you do. I'm like, Penny, no, what? Like, don't. So she was very proud. When she passed away, there were no like funeral plans, which I couldn't plan anything because my mother was next of kin. And I thought, all right, she's gonna, she's, I mean, come on. You didn't come to see her when she was dying. You're gonna give her a funeral. She didn't. No. When's the last time you saw your mother? So at my, at my great aunt, so my Nana's sister, the one who, who passed away in 2013, that was lost at her funeral. At that so year. that whole spectacle was, my Nana had a stroke the day after her sister passed away. She went into the hospital. I called my, cause nobody was, my family was in New York for the funeral, but they weren't at my Nana's house. They were out shopping. I called them and said, listen, Nanny's having a stroke. I need you guys to come back. They were busy. I went to the hospital with my Nana. My mother showed up to the hospital. The doctor said, listen, she's gotta go to her sister's funeral because they lived together for 83 years. They never lived apart. Through the Great Depression, they grew up in New York City during the Great Depression, lived in Harlem. They were geniuses, full scholarship to Columbia and NYU. One was a biochemist working on cures for children's diseases at Bellevue and St. Luke's Roosevelt. This is like when black people couldn't vote, when I, women couldn't vote, and they were just- Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, for my mother coming from that and also marrying somebody who came from such excellence, like what were you, like, <laughs> what were you doing? I don't know, I don't get it. But she, the doctor said to, bring her back to the hospital after the funeral. And my mother didn't. I was at work and a neighbor called and was like, your Nana, it was like she was trying to kill her, which happened when her sister went into cardiac arrest. And my mother was screaming, don't resuscitate her, let her go, let her go. And my Nana was like, what do you mean let her go? Like she's a, she, she, wants to be she, she wants to be resuscitated. And the doctor said, do, does she have a DNR? And my Nana was like, no, she doesn't have a do not resuscitate form. She wants to be resuscitated. She's a biochemist. She works in this hospital. Like, what the hell? And my mother was like, oh, she told me. She told me she doesn't want to be resuscitated. So they resuscitated her because by law they had to. Mm -hmm. And the doctor asked her when she woke up, like, did you want to be resuscitated? And she was like, yeah, why? Everybody looked at me. I will never forget. I just. So when she when my Nana's sister died in 2013, my mother laughed, my siblings laughed, and I was left with my Nana. This was the process of my mother trying to get me out of the house so that she could take the house. I took my Nana to Chase Bank because she had a joint account with her sister. And we got to the bank and the woman said, well, the account is empty. I said, well, what do you mean the account is empty? She, she, like, she left her around $80,000. And she was like, oh, well, she, she came and withdrew all the money. I was like, well, how did she do that? She's dead. Like, how did she... Well, my, my mother and her aunt have the same name. Oh. So my mother was named after her and they have the same last initials. So she went in there, beautiful and charming, flashed her ID, signed something real quick, took the money. And I was like, nanny, she took your money. No, she didn't. This is an accident. I'm like, Pure <laughs> denial. Nanny, like the, this woman took your savings, like your life savings. So it made it easier to throw her in a home if you're saying this old person who's living by her, herself has no money. Yeah. 
And the woman at the bank was like, don't worry. This happens, unfortunately, to seniors. We have documents for this. You could just sign the paper. It's fine. We'll put all the money back in your account. But the person who took it is going to have to be charged. So she wouldn't sign the papers. And shortly after, she threw her in her home. So when I went to go visit my Nana in the home, I was met by security who removed me. My mother basically did what she did to my father, she did to me. She told everybody that I was abusive and that's why I left my Nana. Because it couldn't be, I convinced Nanny to throw Arya out. So so what reason am I, am I gonna give people when they see that Arya left this 89 year old woman? Oh, well she was abusive and she's on the run. That's why she moved to Australia. I'm like, are you kidding? So, it wasn't until my Nana died that neighbors had told me that this is what the story that my mother had told everybody in our neighborhood in New York was that I was very abusive and that's why I was running. And that's why I don't talk. The reason why I don't talk to my mother is because I'm so ashamed of how abusive I am and that I had beaten her and I had beaten her sister. And she told the uh, retirement home that I was abusive and to not let me in there to keep me from in fear that I would inherit something or anything of the sort. And the director of the home was like, she's so excited to see you. I can't imagine that. I think she knew it was bullshit. So yeah. they let me stay, but I had to stay in like a public room. And I remember my Nana crying because I wasn't allowed to sit in her room and talk like just these rules. Because all be And that's when she was like, okay, she realized what was really going what on. had happened. So that was once she took the money from my Nana and threw her in a home, I have not spoken to her or my siblings since then and they were all part of it and I don't it was 10 years ago I don't know who my siblings are today I don't know what they do or what part of me I I have to remind myself and I even spoke about this with my therapist is that like they they grew up in that house and I got out so they've even in adulthood have it's almost like Stockholm syndrome somebody has drilled this into your head for 30 years this is what this person is this is what this person has done to you and for a while I've wanted to like reach out and say like, this is not what it is. And I tried with my brother. I remember saying to my brother, like, listen, I think we were taken. I think I'm pretty sure like, and he was like, no, cause if they wanted to see us, they would have found us already. Not even him on his own realizing like, dude, you're, you're 17 and you've been to, you've lived in like nine different houses. Don't you think that's, do you think that's weird? And nobody ever did, no one ever did. And so I wonder as adults, if anything has clicked and in terms of finding my father, my father's family, they don't even know. My mother doesn't know that I know. My siblings don't know that I found that. Nobody knows. It, it makes me sad because I think of all the things my aunt and my, my Nana accomplished growing up and my father and my uncle and, and grandfather and how much I've accomplished. In terms of talent, especially artistic talent, I'm at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to my siblings. My siblings are like insanely gifted and, and nothing ever happened with it. And I just wonder, like, if they had gotten out as well. And there used to be a lot of guilt, too. Like, I, when I was 15, I thought, if I leave and I make something of myself, that I can come back and save them. But it was too late because she had already gotten their head that, you know, Arya left because she hates you and Arya's beating up old people. I couldn't waste any more of my energy trying to convince them of who I was. And I couldn't waste any more of my energy trying to change my mother. Because for a while, I would try to reason with her. And there was a final conversation that we had. And that's when I was like, I'm done. Who you, I accept you for who you are. And I got to go. And I was talking to my therapist about this. She was like, well, what do you want to do with it? And I said, I want to tell someone. I don't know how or where or when. And when I saw this, I was like, let me start here. Yeah. But for kids who grew up like, like me to know that like 
your now is not your forever because mm-hmm. it was that household was just so toxic i mean some of us were in and out of the hospital because of the way that we were beaten and yeah. broken bones and all kinds of things and it just i think it destroyed my siblings in a, in a way i also realized how privileged i am to have had successful grandparents that i could learn from or to have even gone to a good school i can't imagine if i grew up in this situation and i went and i was in a school district with teachers that didn't give a shit or i didn't 100%. go to a blue ribbon school or or i didn't have the opportunity to go to a good college and that sort of thing so even when i see other people taking the wrong term it's like the wrong turn i think to myself like what's the backstory or did they just not have the resources to get them out of the situation they were i had those resources so that in itself yeah. as traumatic as it was i still and privileged enough to have, I mean, we lived in a five-bedroom, four-bathroom house. We had nice cars and nice clothes. So even going, even after leaving, I knew, not that I was faking it, but I knew how to carry myself in a certain way that made me appealing for these jobs for me to get myself to a higher level. And if you didn't have exposure to that, how, like, you couldn't, you couldn't walk into Versace speaking any kind of way, dress any kind of highly pretentious people. Sorry, you are. And like, you had to carry it. yourself yeah. as a certain way in that industry. And whether people grew up in an abusive household or whether they were bullied, I experienced all of the above to just have a goal in mind and focus on that goal and the hell with everybody else. I, I will say, and this may sound very pretentious, but like I was never that kid that thought I couldn't do something. And, and my stepfather would constantly say like oh you think your camera's gonna take you somewhere oh hell yeah it is you watch asshole like (laughs) like, i was that kid where you couldn't tell you could not tell me i couldn't do something like i don't think uh, that's pretentious i think it's confident i think that that's i i i sometimes think to myself like when people say that saying like what would you what advice would you give to your younger self Mm -hmm. i always say like i wish i can go back and get get advice from my younger self because she was far more brave than i am right now (laughs) like she just yeah, I feel like my younger self was a lot more ruthless because I had to be. There was like not, I mean, the choices were to succumb to my mother's foolishness and just uh-huh. go down the path of my siblings or to be like the hell with all of you. And it's, it is very hard to fully cut off your family. Like that is not oh, it doesn't an easy thing. Even now, even being successful, it's still difficult. I, I spend every holiday by myself. I don't, there's parts of it that are very, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't change anything. There's nothing that I would change because all the bad stuff brought me to where I am today. But it's, it's, so to not have any support system in terms of family is very difficult. I mean, even after the accident, it's like I had reconstructive surgery and I had to learn how to walk again with this brace and had four months of occupational therapy on my hand to learn how to write and to go through all that alone and have to buy your groceries on your own and hobbling through New York city. I will say that's the nicest I've ever seen New Yorkers in my entire life. I will. I'll give them that. (laughs) I'm going to do the worst transition ever now, which is we end each episode by every guest gives their favorite restaurant from where they are and their go-to spot. (gasps) We have a a map of the whole country. Oh, no way. Yeah, so if people are, like, on a road trip, they can stop at all the guest spots and everything. So why don't you give Thailand? We haven't had an international one like that. Oh, okay. Best place is actually a bakery. Um, It's called After You. It's in Bangkok. It is so good. What do you get there? I have probably eaten there. So they have – I haven't seen these in New York, and I'm a hardcore cronut girl, Mm -hmm. but no more. They have something called a croffle, 
which is a croissant waffle. Holy shit. Oh my God. <laughs> it is so good. It is so good. It comes, there's ones that come in like a cinnamon sugar croffle. It literally is a croissant, but it's a waffle, but it's a That's croissant. That's unreal. It is so good. And it's a really, croffles are really big here. I've never seen them in the States. And I feel like at some point they're going to make their way Blow over there. But, yeah. but I've eaten them all over the country. Phuket, Krabi, Chiang Mai. Bangkok wins and after you is the, is the name of the place. Okay. Um, they have a few different locations. There's actually one in the airport, but the Croffle, man. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and follow the podcast wherever it is you listen to it so that we can bring you more unexpected stories by ordinary people. And if you don't like the episode, forget what I just said and just please don't tell anyone.